Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collins. What up guys, this is Epi Starkey. Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation! Hello again. It is time to talk basketball, as it always is. I don't know why I specified this. You get it. You all get it. Welcome back to the show. I am Steve Schwartzman. I am flanked by the one, the only, Logan Jones. Logan, how are you? <laughs> What's up, Steve? We got, like, we went several months without getting on mic, and then as soon as you do it once, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's really fun. And then the next week yeah. of basketball stuff happens, and you're like, wow, we have a lot to cover in, like, seven days. Yeah, it's the Arby's Market Fresh sandwich of, of experiences where you have one, and you're like, why don't I have these for lunch all the time? Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial to anyone, but they make a good fresh sandwich. I don't know. This is We're not here to talk about Arby's, but maybe one day. Well, have an Arby's podcast. I, I don't know. I have to. I have to not pick up on that thread, or we're going to be talking Arby's for a while. I'm. I don't know if I'm on board with Arby's. We'll talk about it after the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's a whole. It's its own thing. Uh, I mean, a really, really eventful week in the world of women's basketball and women's sports in general. There's a whole bunch of stuff. If, if we had time and bandwidth to talk NWSL stuff, PWHL stuff, professional volleyball stuff, yeah. There's all kinds of things you should be dipping your toes in if you're a women's sports fan or a sports fan, even. Uh, Lots of good things. But uh, let's kick things off, Logan. I think we had the marquee matchup of the college season take off this past week. South Carolina LSU, absolutely raucous environment. Uh, There were moments that were some of the loudest crowd moments that I've witnessed, at least from a TV perspective. Um, this was a huge one. It was in Baton Rouge. Um, what was... I, I, hard to say it was close. The whole, it wasn't close the whole night, but it, it was a really good matchup always. South Carolina ends up taking the victory, staying 18-0. They've now won 15 straight games against LSU. Do you recall the last time LSU beat South Carolina in the regular season? I I don't. Do you do you have the date pulled up? Do you have who who played in that game? Yeah. I have no idea. You have to go back to 2012. Ooh. They haven't uh, beaten South Carolina at least in regular season capacity since 2012. Um, I believe they are still looking to get their first regular season game um, against it's something like a number one SEC or like an undefeated SEC team, something like that. Since 2008, when they beat Tennessee, um, that was the that was a Candace Parker team. So. LSU came really close to breaking a bunch of streaks and making a very big statement when at one point it looked like they absolutely were. Um, they had leads as high as, I want to say, Although, 12. Oh, yeah. The whole first half. I mean, they led by double digits for a lot of the second quarter, and the whole first half felt like they're at home. They're ready to break this awful losing streak in South Carolina. It looked like South Carolina's scoring just wasn't going to be able to keep up. And then second half, if you didn't watch the game, they, they came out in the third quarter. I wouldn't say they came out flat. I think South Carolina just turned up the, the defensive intensity as they can do. And then just, I don't know, someone called it a game of runs. It was actually a game of like both teams scored often. And then for like a lot of the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, neither team scored hardly at all. And it was very like, who's going to break Who's going to break the seal here? 
South Carolina yes. ended up on top. But I think if these teams played 10 times, I'd probably give South Carolina six of them. Maybe, it, yeah. it looked like a pretty good... I mean, you give LSU a little bit of a bump for being at home and SC a little bit of a bump for not caring where they play. So yep. pretty even matchup. It is very interesting that one is 18 and 0 and the other one is in some people's eyes underperforming being 18 and three. These are both really good teams. Yeah. That's where this one gets really interesting because um, yeah, South Carolina struggled pretty early. I mean, most of the first quarter things were pretty even and consistent at one point. LSU broke out to a pretty big lead. They were working the ball into into Reese really well. The, you know, they seem to be flowing well and we're absolutely like myrtleizing South Carolina on the boards. They had, there were, there were possessions where they had third, fourth, fifth chance points. Like it was actually insane. Um, in fact, there was a possession, I think at the end of was it the first quarter. Um, and, uh, Pow Pow, I think, made a three at the buzzer, but it came off of a possession where LSU had, I believe, four rebounds. I think they legitimately had four offensive boards, ended up not being able to score, and then Pow Pow made that shot, and it cut LSU's lead at the end of the first to six. And it was a cool moment, right? Buzzer beater. And Don Staley was fuming. It cut to her... (laughs) legitimately screaming one play because and I think it's because she's like, we're not going to survive this game. If we're giving up that many offensive re- rebounds in one possession, like what is going on? It was interesting too. Cause like Malaysia full Wiley hit a buzzer beater at the end of the second quarter. And those shots ended up, I think being more impactful than people might realize. Cause they kind of like tempered some LSU runs to end those quarters a little bit because at the end of the first quarter, that put them only down six. Uh, they went to the half only down five. If it's an eight-point deficit heading into the half, it's, it feels like a completely different situation for LSU. Um, but what really made the second half work to me was, I think Don Staley kind of refocused things and said, okay, we're going to work under the basket. We're going to try and generate some foul trouble. We're going to try and muscle through LSU, who I think – um, in the front court was significantly more dominant in the first half. And we're going to try to force them to play a style of game that we play. And if they make shots, if they hit jumpers, they hit jumpers, but we're going to let that go. Yeah. Um, they ended up having Angel Reese fouled out. Um, I think with four minutes left to play, there were a couple of calls. Some people would question, but overall, you know, that was a boon probably for South Carolina in a lot of different ways. Um, that said, like I could go up the narrative of this performance altogether, but standout performances, uh, key themes, key moments, and what stand out mo- stood out most to you watching this game? Uh, I really enjoyed the two of the biggest like off season for college like storylines. Kind of showed like Haley Van Lith and Anisa Morrow were both transfers this past year. They both had really good games. Um, there's there's anytime someone looks like they're just like stock, like LSU is the reigning champs. And then they went and got these two like kind of brand name players from other programs. Anytime that happens, you get some detractors. Sometimes I'm one of them saying like, there's only one basketball. How are they going to play together? Blah, blah, blah. It's so it's cool in January seeing them work that out because that means March, April, you know, they're going to be able to go deep even in games where like you do have people fouling out. And obviously you want Angel Reese on the floor as much as possible, but there's just no let up from this team. They can score. All five positions. Nisa Morrow had a big block at one point that got me out of my seat. It was, yes. it was one of those games from them. I, I don't have any hard hitting analysis beyond just it's cool to see the, the new transfers fitting in there. They're still 18 and three. They're ranked number nine in the country. I don't know what's going to change after losing to number one, South Carolina. They might even move up <laughs> depending on who loses in front of them. But, uh, the, the biggest surprise to me you've already hit was the, if you look at the box score at the end of, the game, like rebounds, assists, basically everything across the board is, is even. Um, and I would have suspected that South Carolina killed LSU on the boards because I would have, I would have guessed that, that was the difference in the game, but it was just a, it wasn't that big of a difference when, when all was told. So yeah, I think, uh, I think LSU needs to not get outscored by 10 in the fourth quarter. 
Um, that's my hard hitting analysis of, you know, if I was to game plan (laughs) for the next one, I would say, let's not do that. But I mean, they, they played a tough game. South Carolina is a tough, a tough one to beat and they will probably match up again in the tournament. Come, come. Yeah. I, I don't know what the committee is going to do in terms of like, we're going to try to set up this as a title match or we're going to try to get them to play right away because sometimes we like the narrative, but at some point, I think we're going to see these teams face off again. I mean, you almost wonder if they don't because of what happened last season of like, let's, right. get, let's get them in the final four to be safe, right? But it, it's going to be really intriguing, all those things. This was an interesting looking at the score sheet. One thing that weirdly stood out to me, because I, I don't know if you see this very often, all five starters from both teams scored in the double digits. And that's wow. just a, f- a fun little nugget there. That is fun. Um, no player went over 20. I think the high score of the night was Morrow had 16, 16 and 10. Um, Anissa Morrow was fantastic in this game. I was shocked at how little they were feeding her. Um, she's playing so well. She shot seven for 11. She dropped two threes. Um, you talked about her block. That was one of two she had. She looked really good in this game. And I was really shocked they didn't actually feed her even more. Um, Van Lith looked to struggle on the shooting end at certain moments. She did have a shot that for a minute felt like it was going to be the defining shot of LSU's season. Uh, when she hit a tying shot with about a minute and a half left and the arena came unglued. Um, legitimately like fever pitch level. Everyone was hot. I mean, it was a big, big moment. Um, but Bree Hall just wasn't going to let it happen. No. Insanely, cl- she she drives a manual, and you know it. <laughs> she was hitting the clutch pretty hard in the last minute of the game. She dropped two Ooh. very important deep three. <laughs> the crowd hates it. The crowd hates it. <laughs> it's a good joke. It's a great joke, even. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah. She, she was fantastic. Malaysia Fulwiley had some fantastic possessions off the bench. Um, you know, I've talked all season about like. I'd love to see her get starting minutes. I'm intrigued to see why she's still off the bench, which is really dumb to say about an 18 and 0 team. It's a really stupid thing for me to say as if they don't know what they're doing, but her, the, the level of spark she's been able to bring out of the second unit has been huge. And she came into the game in the first quarter when I believe LSU was up by 11. She dropped five immediate points and really kind of opened up spacing for South Carolina and kind of brought some life back into them that gave you the insight that they were going to fight their way back into this game. But yeah, this was huge. I think um, I really liked one of my favorite narratives of this game. As we close out the conversation, um, how much fun was this Cardoso Reese back and forth? It's great. There was some good drama under the basket. That was fun. Cardoso's been a beast and a name that we should probably hear more. Um, just I, I know we we kind of talked about this last time, but we're coming off of a season where like Aaliyah Boston did amazing at South Carolina. She went into Indiana and instantly was an all star. And she's like, dude, this is such a great player. And it felt like even though South Carolina remained great, it it didn't necessarily have like a a tent pole player to like hang that greatness on. Cardoso is so quickly getting there for me. Like I, I, if I was a WBA team, I'd want her on my team. Um, Hall being clutch and Cardoso just being a lock for 15 rebounds a night is a really, a, a luxury that most coaches do not enjoy. And that's, inclu- I mean, we talked about before the show, like it's, it's possible and even probable that Don Staley is, uh, the best coach currently in women's basketball in all of um, college <laughs> basketball period. And, and it's, and it's frustrating to me that my professional basketball team did not hire her to be their coach, but that's a story for a different day. I did, uh, I did kind of look ahead to what's ahead for both of these teams. It's really hard to predict like South Carolina could drop one at any time just because it's really hard to go undefeated, but they've got four of their next five at home. Um, they have a road game at Auburn. Auburn has a win over LSU. They're a dangerous team. And then they have number eight UConn at home on ESPN the day of the Super Bowl. So thanks for that, ESPN. Um, and then LSU is, is back and forth. They're on the road and at home against a whole variety of SEC opponents for the next week or two. So be on the lookout for a bunch of those. I, I think the, the game at Vanderbilt might actually be kind of good. Um, so we'll see how that, 
we'll see how that plays out. But it, it kind of feels like both of these teams are going to secure number one seeds by season's end, regardless in the tournament, even though LSU started out like disappointing people because they lost to Colorado at the gate. It just, it, it doesn't feel like there's many programs yeah. better than them right now. How the AP responds to LSU. And by the time this episode comes out, that may be known right now. They're still ranked ninth. Um, but obviously the rankings will come out by the start of the week. How they respond to that could tell a lot of the story about where LSU might find themselves sitting come tournament time. That said, I still expect them to potentially clean out the rest of their SEC schedule, and they'll put in a strong enough performance in conference play. And I'm not sure that the tournament committee is ready for what's going to happen if they (laughs) somehow stick LSU with a second or even third seed. Because right now there's enough two loss teams that if they won out and, and LSU dropping, I mean, right now sitting ninth, if you do math, which is not how those rank, those, the seeds work. um, You technically would say they're, they're prized for a potential of a third seed. Now last year they were a one loss team, two loss team with a third seed that made zero sense. And that was really stupid because it pissed them off enough that they won the thing. Um, and I'm interested to see where that narrative plays. Right now, if you were to ask me, LSU as a, as a one seed makes a lot of this. They would have to do a lot of sluggish things and lose some unfathomable games over this last stretch of the season. Yeah, I, to drop I think out you're going to give... I mean, Colorado might still get one, but they just dropped <clears> one to Oregon State. Oregon State just cracked the top 25 recently. That loss is going to drop Colorado a little bit. UCLA is probably a number one seed unless something dramatic happens. They are really good this year. Um, but if you're looking around the league, it's kind of like, like you're probably going to get South Carolina, UCLA, Iowa, and LSU by season's end. Yeah. That's a little bit of, that's a little bit of shade at Kansas State, who's a one loss team right now. And yes. I know you like, so Kansas State's up there. Colorado, even with that loss up there, Stanford is a two loss team. They're up there. Um, there's some teams that are in free fall, which we don't have a segment set aside for this, but Florida State already dropped eight spots before losing to who did they just lose to? They got killed by Duke by like 40. Um, so they're getting obliterated. Louisville and Virginia Tech, apple of my eye, Virginia Tech, they're both kind of going through some stumbles right now. USC's dropped a couple spots. There are, I mean, you look over the top 25, there's a, a two loss Gonzaga team down at 17. And a two loss Syracuse yeah. team down at 22. And West Virginia is down at 24. Like, there's a lot of really good records this year. I think they're going to have to look at strength of schedule for the seedings, maybe more than we're used to. I'll say this really quick about Kansas State. Um, it's, it's going to be very telling. They've got some really key matchups that <clears throat> they're going to be running up against in the next couple of weeks without Ayaka Lee. Um, she's out with an injury for at least three more weeks, if not more. Um, and they're coming up against top 10 team in Texas, West Virginia. Um, that next, the, like February is going to be a big uphill for them. So if they end up, if they may drop one or two, if they get through that and Lee comes back healthy and they're still sitting as a one loss team, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to justify dropping them yeah. out of one spot. Cause they throw I, a wrench into to... what right now seem like really clean plans. Yeah, I have to imagine that the the game against West Virginia is sort of the preliminary, like, hey, can we get Lee back by whatever it is, February twenty first? They play West yeah. Virginia. That I should. Uh, you don't want to rush anyone back if she's not ready. It's she's not ready, but that might be her target return based yeah. on her injury timeline. Yeah, so that's how it looks. But yeah, I, we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. But yeah, this is. I mean, we have a lot of good heat coming up as far as. The college structure goes. This is definitely time to get into it. I do want to hit two quick notes. Well, one one thing that will kind of hit on this. One thing we haven't really noted here was right roundabouts a million and a half people tuned in to watch this matchup. Um, it actually topped NBA's ratings for the night, which is pretty cool. Um, I just wanted to call that out. I was thinking I would start a discussion with that, but I feel like that discussion would be like, isn't that sweet? And then you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty right. sweet. And then it is nice. It is nice. Yeah, it's a cool thing. So great matchup. A lot of good stuff coming up. Um, we're going to turn things over to some W talk. It's always nice to have some off season W talk really quick though. 
before we note that, because I'm sure especially Sparks fans are ready to have some very uh, lively discussion <laughs> here. Logan, you want to give us a quick rundown as to where listeners can connect with the show, find the show, stay involved with everything that is Dub Nation? Absolutely. Uh, we have a website. It's WNBANation.com. Uh, you can check out all of the links to everything I'm about to say right there if you don't want to listen to the next minute of podcast. But since you're here, obviously you found us somehow. We are on Apple Podcasts and virtually every other podcast platform that pods can be found. Woo. Uh, we, we have episodes listed on there. We have a merch store on there. We have contact info. Um, we've done various things in the past on Twitch and, uh, what's the video, but, uh, Whatever the video playback? platform is that we playback, playback. So we've, we've tried different things like that before. Uh, we, we definitely want to get video content going this coming year, one way or another. So that's something we're going to be focused on just to build more of this community that you guys are all part of. We appreciate you listening. We hope you listen to the other pods that we share interests in women's basketball with. Um, they're all great. They're all great. And it's, it's fun to see the game grow. It's fun to see this audience grow, but. That's WNBANation.com and on Twitter at... Ooh, I haven't been on Twitter in a long time, Steve. Uh, we're on Twitter at WNBANation... Nation Pod. Pod, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, i got to be honest. Still... Twitter, Twitter's rough these days. If you're not... If yeah, if you're still over in Muskland... And that's hard because so much of our community has been over there. And I'm sure oh, a lot of them have made things over. Um so I don't know. I mean, we've there have been internal talks about do we chop up on threads? Where can you connect with us? I'll say this much: we're hoping to to start breathing some life into the our TikTok account we've created. If there's definitely somewhere that would be smart to stay connected with us, TikTok's a really good place to do it. We'd like to drop some clips from the show, some discussion points, things of that nature. Um, we might do some live coming out of there. We might bring back uh, some Twitch live so that we can have some open discussion. There will definitely be places that you can connect with the show, um, as always, and we'll keep tabs as far as that is considered. But, Logan, I've held up long enough. What's going on with Neko Gumake? Well, we don't know exactly yet, but we know she's not going to be in L.A. this coming season. That's that's true. That's the only fact that we do know. Um I immediately... I mean, our texting about this the other night was centered around one particular team. However... It's confirmed on ESPN via Ramona Shelburne. She has met with Atlanta, Phoenix, Chicago, Seattle, and New York. Yeah. And that's just so far. So she's exploring her options. To, to me, uh, there's two that immediately have to jump out at you. One is obviously New York because NECA's a winner and she wants to go somewhere that wins and New York is primed to make another run next year. The one that makes the best sense to me, oddly enough, is the team that finished like 11th in the league last year. I think Seattle going up with Magbabor and, and Jim and kind of becoming that core, it makes a ton of sense to me because I thought Jim was a perfect fit for LA in the offseason before she signed her deal That's in Seattle. That's the thing. So we've, a we've Jewel had a and Neko Hulake duo, yeah, like that just makes sense to me. And that, that instantly turns that team into a playoff team in my eyes um don't ask me who's falling out of the playoffs this coming year i haven't looked at it that closely yet but that's that's a very powerful duo and i think ezzy is going to take another step forward she's really good if seattle can kind of pitch the whole like hey we've been a professional winning organization up here for a very long time and we know how to base a team around a star like you and market you and like let's do it i think they can make a compelling pitch despite the fact that they just had a bad year it's very hard to keep up with you were just in LA, come over to New York, play with Bree and likely John Quell and Sabrina and win a bunch of games and maybe win a championship. It's very hard to compete with that pitch. So I get it. Yeah. But that was just, I'm trying to figure out how that move is feasible on any side. Um, but definitely, I mean, the short list when all this kicked off, when, when the rumor reel was hitting that NECA may be on her way out, the short list was New York and Seattle. That was kind of what what picked up, and then uh, we heard more about you, talk, you know we're talking with Atlanta, we're talking with Phoenix, we're talking with the Sky. Um, yeah, the narrative really runs things all over the place, um, but it's hard to yeah it's hard to call that out. But we've been running the, the we we ran through this narrative for years of. We like our gut feelings were telling us like we might see Jam in LA one of these days. 
And this idea of Jewelloid playing with Neko Gumake is what set that up. We just had the team wrong, apparently. Um, and I feel like there has to be a narrative within the storm when they extended Jewelloid, when they were trying to establish her as the, the face of this new franchise. I have to get the feeling that part of the narrative was help is on the way. Like, it's like, we're yeah. going to find you uh, some some real artillery to surround yourself with. And NECA kind of feels like an exact fit. Like, it really makes a lot of sense from that perspective. Seattle is definitely an organization that likes to get themselves in contention pretty quickly. They like to be in that mix. They don't like to stay down like this for long. And so it becomes a really interesting discussion of at what point do are we finally, you know, does this stand out for them? So that's an intriguing move to me. As I was looking through the other teams, Atlanta makes a lot of sense in some ways because, like, immediately it's her team in Atlanta in a way. And and that's intriguing. Phoenix, I'm very curious. Now, would I like to see a NECA Griner front court? You betcha. That would rule. Um, but that's intriguing. Um, Chicago seems like one of those teams that's going to be perennially in this mix until they do kind of bound around another star to play with um, Copper yeah. and company. So all yeah, this kind I of makes Chicago, some sense. And, yeah. Chicago's another one that like you, we shouldn't discount just because they weren't necessarily in the mix last year because they are an organization that doesn't really tolerate being out for long. Um, I think Atlanta's an interesting one. I feel like there's a lot of risk reward there because Atlanta kind of has an identity and something going on and moving and they're moving in the right direction already. Adding NECA obviously increases their talent level and ability to go further in the playoffs, but it also like fundamentally changes the composition of the team. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the team that I'm most intrigued by in all of this is actually what LA's plan is. Um, they bring in yes. Kurt Miller last year. They have a former Aggie as their GM, go Reagan. Um, I know that's not necessarily critical, but they, they have the second overall pick in the draft this coming year, which I think is interesting because instead of convincing NECA that there is help on the way, they're kind of moving on from that era of the team. Candace Parker left a couple seasons ago. It kind of feels like they're doing a hard reset with this number two pick and just not a lot of other players on long-term contracts, which we've known forever, right? For two seasons, we've been saying, like, they're going to make a push for Bree. They're going to make a push for whoever. They're going to have money to spend on basically whoever they want to go get. Um, but it kind of is now contingent on... It, I mean, NECA is not just a great player and a consistently great player. She is, like, the spokesperson for the league uh, on behalf of the players and incredibly well-liked by basically everyone. And I would have assumed that they would have liked to pitch. It's her team, and we have whoever goes number two coming in and we have lots of money to spend to come to LA. Now it kind of feels like we don't necessarily have a set in stone identity or a face of the franchise at the moment. They they've got Derek Hamby and, and for the moment they have Jordan Canada, like they have talented players there, but a lot of flexibility, a lot of money, a high draft pick that is going to be very valuable this coming year, which maybe they use, maybe they move off of whatever they do. It kind of feels like, they're hitting a big reset button and this coming year for LA, like it's not going to look like a recognizable team for Sparks fans. There's really, there's two different things before I get to my LA thought, there's one note um, I wanted to point out about NECA is I, the one team that surprises me a little bit that it wasn't in the mix is Dallas. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, they have a pretty stacked front court. Does that make a lot of sense? They are very much bringing back Kalani Brown. So I, I'm interested that that discussion hasn't happened. Maybe they just are pretty resolute in who they've got, and that's good. One of the more whacked out potential ideas that center around LA, because I feel like I feel like they're going to build a lot around this number two pick, especially if we do happen to see Paige Beckers back in the mix. I don't know that that will happen, but in the event that we see her back in the draft mix, th that could definitely be the case. Um. It's very intriguing to see, like, because then, you know, without Beckers, where do you go with that two pick? Cameron Brink is probably the name that's bandied about the most. I'm still really shocked people aren't projecting Angel Reese any higher than they are. 
we just talked about Camila Cardoso and how impressive she's been. I think there's a lot of interesting directions that 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 the draft could certainly take. Um, I wonder how far west Elena Deladon is willing to travel. <laughs> she does need a home. That's that's one big question I have. If, yeah. if we're still living on this rumor mill that she's on her way out of Washington, the narrative of Deladon for a long time had been one of the reasons she went to Washington. She wanted to be closer to Delaware, closer to home. And I don't know how much you lean toward that because the options get limited from, from that point. I mean, you have Connecticut, which may, could make some sense. New York probably is an enterprise range, um, but more impossible things have happened. After watching Gotham FC's offseason, it's just like, I guess you could just have whoever you want if you're nice enough. Um, so you just never know anymore. Uh, but if, let's say that's something that's out of her purview, let's say part of her narrative of I want to be in a winning situation includes I want to be with a winning coach. Kurt Miller's a very phenomenal option for that. Um, and you kind of heavily establish yourself as a mainstay brand if you if you become a star in Los Angeles. So there's a lot to that that I think would be intriguing. I'm not calling Elena Deladon to LA, but I'm certainly not not saying that. Also, they have a corny as hell branding thing that can get by immediately with LA Nadeladon. That's a free one for you guys. <laughs> If you need one in the marketing, if Eli and company need something on the back end, that's the, for you. The thing I most want to invest in, which Jason probably already has, is just a soundboard of about six different sounds for this show. And one of them is just like light applause. <laughs> <laughs> like just polite. Oh, like, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> That's interesting. That's fun. So yeah, I mean, free agency, we're we're getting right to the heat of it. And... I mean, there's just a lot that's going to be bubbling up there. I think we'll be talking about it a lot more. Um, with a little bit of time that we have left, Logan, there was one thing that hit the pipeline this last week that was really intriguing. It's going to be centering around the NBA's All-Star Weekend. Uh, we got rumblings that there's going to be... I don't believe this is specifically three-point contest focused at all, uh, but the W... the the Steph, Steph Curry three-point... I don't know if they branded a name for it. But essentially, Steph Curry, Sabrina Inescu, three-point contest, head-to-head event that was essentially announced. Sounds like Curry was a big impetus behind this, really wanting to see this happening, and especially after uh, Inescu's otherworldly performance last season in three-point contests. I feel a lot of different ways about this. I'm curious what your reaction to this is. I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement generating around this. My natural, I don't want to say cynical, but like my natural like defensiveness as a fan of women's sports um, lights up in a lot of different ways because of this. But I'm curious how you feel coming into this. Okay, so the the first I heard about it, uh, and if this is the first that you, the listeners, the nation is hearing about it, I... Probably we all had a similar reaction, which is like the basketball fan in me wants to see it, but I don't want to give any excuse for the trolls of the world to, to make this like a once and for all women versus men thing. I'm kind of tossing that out the more I think about it for a couple of reasons. First, it looks like there's a lot of mutual respect between Steph and Sabrina anyway. And that is actually the most important thing. This isn't, this challenge wasn't thrown down because Steph was like, bitter about his record being broken. It's it's more of like a, wouldn't it be fun? Like, I'm a once-in-a-lifetime shooter. You not only broke the record of 31, but set the new record at 37. Like, I know that I know that there's, like, money balls and things involved in, in the different racks and stuff, but still, like, that's you broke the record by a lot, which yeah. is never done before. And so it's just like, well, like, people want to see it. The All-Star Weekend is kind of about a spectacle anyway. Like, I think it'd be fun. The part of me that likes to go out in the backyard and feel the basketball in my hands and shoot around and challenge Kyle and just be like, let's play seven on the line really quick. Like the actual basketball lover in me is just like, yeah, it's probably the, the only part of all-star weekend that's in any way compelling for me right now. It's like, I want to see, I want to see them do it. I I don't even necessarily care who wins. I just kind of want to see them enjoying like competing against one another because they're both just 
unreal three point shooters. And it's, it's fun to watch that. Of course, the discourse is going to be a disaster, right? Like I don't stay off of Twitter. Don't listen to whatever Kendrick Perkins has to say about it. Like none of that matters. And it's all you're going to hear about it afterwards. It's like, do women belong in on the same court as the blah, blah, blah. I don't like you should already have all those types of accounts muted at this point anyway. So if, if you don't, it'll give you a really good chance of just identifying like these are voices that I don't necessarily need to listen to. If they turn it into a women versus men thing or, uh, like I dude, I don't know. I don't know. I can't even like get into the mindset of someone who would put that much importance on what's obviously supposed to be like a fun contest. So I, I hope Sabrina wins. I hope that they both show out. I think it'll be very cool either way, but. I just I I don't want to give any excuses to those people who always want to see like South Carolina challenge a high school basketball team. Like it's dumb and they shouldn't even have to entertain that sort of discussion. This is happening because both players have kind of instigated it and in a positive fun way. So it's just like, yeah. yeah, if you want to do it, let's do it. Like I'll see you there. No, exactly. And that's I guess my Curiosity and anxiety around this just as a very naturally paranoid human being. It, more than anything just stems from, like, it's clear on on face value that this is a really cool thing. Like, the event itself is a fun thing, and what it should be, in its own strange way, is is kind of a celebration of the modern style of basketball. Um, in era where, you know, Shooting has become so much the primary uh, kind of hit point in basketball nowadays. Both of our fathers are probably groaning from wherever they're sitting right now thinking that. Oh, um, certainly. Yeah, but that's what this really should be. It's kind of cool to say, like, here are two people who have uh, really shown what the current game is and what the future holds. And this is a really cool thing. My thing here is, and also it almost it has an interesting call out because I, I think about the same discourse. I'm about to call something out that I almost guarantee you forgot happened because I forgot it happened until five seconds ago. Remember the horse challenge? Remember Allie quickly <laughs> the horse challenge? It's been four years since then. Um, and I did forget about the horse challenge. Even calling that whole thing out. <laughs> You know, Ali quickly showing up, going head to head over Zoom against Chris Paul, and <laughs> beating him in a horse challenge, and then, um, you know the, uh, you know that whole situation, that whole thing was supposed to be fun. It was supposed to be an excuse to see some version of sports on TV at a time where there was no sports happening. Right. It was kind of just a fun way to celebrate great players in a great game, and. Naturally, it always turns sour. And that's where I'm getting annoyed with this. Trolls will troll. Barstool bros are going to do that. The the Grant Cardone juniors of the universe are going to be who they're going to be, and we can silence them out. Why, as a women's sports fan, can I just never feel comfortable when anything like this happens? That's <laughs> what's frustrating. That's where, like, the group therapy element of it happened. It gets so frustrating that I can't just look at two great shooters and seeing that they're going to have the showcase and go head to head that, that we're going to have a great WNBA player on a larger platform and just be like, cool. No, I have to be like, well, I've got to turn off all my push notifications and I've got to stay out of every single comment thread because heaven forbid, we just have fun as sports fans. We, why does everything have to turn into this world of vile, misogyny that like we've pushed you out, but we just, we're not allowed to just be happy when fun things happen anymore. We have to be annoyed. We have to, we see someone on the cover of a 2k game and have to be like, well, this is going to be fun hearing what people have to say about it. That's where this gets frustrating and annoying. I think that's why, for instance, when people are just say like, don't feed the trolls, ignore them, leave them aside. It's just like, I don't think you realize how frustrating it is to go, you know, I don't know if you know how to poise this as a discussion point. It's just well, I, for what? I, see, I could, yeah. I, I was just saying, I could I could <clears throat> jump in and at least say like like it hasn't happened yet. We kind of anticipate which type of accounts are going to have something to say about it, which is too bad. But it's because the currency of the internet continues to be engagement. So 
they're yeah, not really true. they're not really hoping to establish any sort of like they're they're they, I don't know they have nothing to stand on other than just like this gets a lot of engagement and gets people fired up. Obviously, we're talking about it. it gets people who don't want to watch women's basketball talking about it. There's like uh, like any high school team could be whatever. Like yeah, I yeah. It, it's it's usually pretty successful at generating engagement, and that's really all they would be here about. I I do think it's generally good. It's a net positive anytime women's basketball players and NBA players get to like share the spotlight together and kind of reinforce kind of what what we got in the bubble during the COVID bubble when like for at a very rare time in history, NBA and WNBA basketball was happening concurrently, and WNBA players made a point to like they were supporting. The league, they were showing up in, in Stewie jerseys, like football players started getting in on it too. Like it was, it suddenly became like, Hey, like a lot of people in NBA media and fandom have elevated Steph Curry to godlike status. And he's like, I want to, I want a piece of Sabrina. Like she broke my record and I, I think I could, you know, I think I could take her. Let's go. So like if your view of Steph Curry is that he is this, like on this pedestal up here, which is fine. He's a once in a lifetime shooter. His respect for the women's game should hopefully bleed yeah. off onto if like, well, it's like, dude, like, I, you know, I think it happened a lot with Kobe. Like a lot of people had respect for Kobe and they saw Kobe at women's games. And they're just like, dude, if he's like, this is good basketball, who am I to say it's not still it didn't get everybody on board, but I think it helped. And so I think showing up at all-star weekend, look, if you're watching all-star weekend, you're already kind of an NBA super fan anyway. So you probably know all this, but like, yeah. At that level, professional basketball players have respect for anyone who can shoot the lights out no matter who they are. And like people will be going crazy for Steph, people will be going crazy for Sabrina. I think it will ultimately be a net positive. Social media is just one of those places where you kind of see the worst of it sometimes. And yeah. so I do like when it happens, I would encourage you to just like the dumb driving for engagement people are gonna have something to say about it, and I'm gonna do my best to just be like, ah. That's too bad. Like, but ultimately, I want to see who wins. Because yeah. like, I because I actually don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because, like, I mean, we saw this level of discourse on TikTok when there's that five foot two dork who was trying to make a claim <laughs> like, oh, I could dog walk Caitlin Clark. And that guy doesn't believe a single word he said. He, he's he's no. doing exactly what you did. He's fishing for engagement. He's trying to feed people so that they'll respond to his video and bump him up an algorithm and good for you. I, I hope you enjoyed the clicks. I hope the little tiny bit of revenue is good. You got to have a free car it's, payment. It's Congrats. the same. It's the same Twitter accounts that like tweet really bad food takes around Thanksgiving, just knowing that people are going to get really annoyed at them. Like, and look guilty. I hate seeing the bad food takes on, on Thanksgiving yeah. Twitter, but it, that's what it's for. They're, you know, they're not going about their daily lives just telling people how bad potatoes are. They're just on Twitter being dumb. Like, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> no, and that's exactly it. It's like, I mean, that's that level of discourse. Where the one key of the internet community that I find really interesting here and why this matchup is actually sort of intriguing. Obviously, we're not purveyors of you should get out into the internet and rage hate or just be so hypercritical and closed minded that it turns you into your own level of monster. But there's always going to be a certain level of critical discussion and tribalism that happens in sports communities. And that's why you and I are kind of with the same league. Like when people get online and want to have the like Sabrina's overrated, that type of discussion, people are tired of seeing your people. Have pressure. There's a little bit of that. That is indicative to, Hey, the game's growing because these are the discussions <laughs> oh, that happen in a growing certainly. game. And, and that community is there. There are, there are anti Sabrina people that are out there that exists. And I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with that as long as you stick to basketball. Um, and you make it about basketball, but is the Venn diagram for the anti Sabrina community and the anti Steph community? It's nearly a circle, isn't it? Like, this might be an interesting time for two very unique communities to come together <laughs> who, who well, kind I, of are tired of the same brand of player. Yeah. I, I know, I know this much. I know we've been doing this podcast for several years now. I've talked to my older brother, my, my eldest brother, I have two older brothers about women's basketball countless occasions, and he's never really shown much interest in it. 
that the three point contest, the the Sabrina <laughs> video from the three point contest, and then last year's March Madness where Caitlin Clark was going unconscious every weekend. That's the most I've ever had him proactively send me stuff. Like this is insane. Yeah. This is a good like this is the best environment. Like we're both Blazer fans. The NBA game isn't very exciting for us right now. The environment isn't very cool. The style of play isn't very cool. It's fun to see someone like him who's like pretty staunchly like, ah, I just don't think it's that interesting to be like, yo, if if she's doing this every night, I'm into it. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, like I am watching. That's always my litmus test for whether something mm. is breaking through the barrier of like the general sports populace. Well, that's why these three point contests always stand out when they happen. This happens with this happened with Ali quickly a couple times where no, no matter how critical you want to be of the W, like when it comes to three point contest, you can't. What what's their question? Like making shots, buckets yeah. or buckets. Like in it, so it's impressive here's, one way or the other. Because a, <laughs> if you went out, if you went out in your driveway and did the same thing over the course of a minute, it would be an impressive video, right? Here's like, here's the secret about is. here's the secret about like I I want to be very careful. I would say this. People are gonna get mad. If you if you didn't know anything about Steph Curry or basketball and you saw him in street clothes in a gas station and someone was like, that's a world class once in a lifetime athlete, you'd be like, at what? Like, <laughs> like it's because shooting is a different like it's a technique driven thing. It's not a can you jump five feet in the air and slam dunk type of thing. And don't get me wrong. I'm into the, the blocks and the steals and the dunks and all that basketball has to offer. But purely three point shooting in uh, like in a time crunch, like it doesn't matter how you're built or how tall you are or whatever. Like Steph's proved that he is not built like yeah. LeBron James. That is not a secret. Look, I, I live in a state where the third best player to potentially come out of not come like they're from here, but to come out of the professional game in this state is Jeff Hornacek. I completely get what you're saying. It's like, it's, <laughs> It's that idea of, yeah, it's kind of changed the structure of things. Now, granted, when you're six foot, what is Steph, six, five, seven? I don't know. Tall is tall. But, yeah, I mean, it kind of changes that notability to a point when you have that sky. But it's just, that's why I've always loved the three-point contests, even a little more than, than, I've never been a dunk contest guy, even before I followed, you know, in sports and that narrative change for me. It's never been my thing, you know. Three point the three point it to me is the second most interesting all star weekend event of any sport. I I, I don't know if this is going to hurt anyone's feelings. People get kind of upset. I get, I'll get up. For, I get up for home run derbies every time. It's, I'm sorry. The home run derby is the best one. Yeah. It's the best one, especially in its current form. I'm sorry. There's every there's about time. one good dunk contest every ten or fifteen years. The home run derby is great ever since the the restructuring. Yeah. So. And the three point and the three point contest, especially the W three point contest, has been very good seemingly every single season. And so, yeah. I'm I'm here for that. I almost wish they expanded it out more in a lot of different ways. But uh, this should be interesting. This should be exciting. They, there was no information that's really even come out on the ramifications of this either. Like I don't know. This sounds like a dumb question, but like, are they playing? Is Sabrina shooting a women's ball? And Steph shooting a regulation men's ball? Is it that's, same distances? Is it? Yeah, like a traditional three-point style so, contest. Or, there's no way Sabrina's going to go in there and be like, "Now we have to go from a different line." Like she's going to shoot from the NBA three. Like, yeah, that's not as well. Just that's hundred percent going to happen, which yeah. will not face her. Um, the thing that I'm most interested in is like if if there are other participants because this is sort of a like over Twitter. Like first, Steph was mic'd up and he was <laughs> like, "I want to challenge her." Like she broke my record, and she answered over Twitter and was like, "Yeah, let's do it. It'll be fun." Um, I, I'm interested in like a WWE style, like this just became a triple threat match and having, I don't know who, someone else run out on there and just be like, oh dang, this is just a collection of the best three point shooters, ever, which is what the three point contest is supposed to be, but they never, I mean, the three point yeah. contest and the dunk contest rarely actually get the best current dunkers and three point shooters because they're all trying to take a vacation in the middle of a very long season. But and I get it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Um, I, I'll say this much too. And, and this isn't like, this is probably a bad compromise to what this is in some ways. This is a part of why I've always kind of wanted to bring back the shooting stars challenge. I was a personal fan of that. 
you don't have to necessarily do the like bring back a legend from that team. But I actually really enjoyed the era where like coordinating cities would have a NBA player and a WNBA player team up and they could do this. Cause you know, I, I like Sabrina being a part of this and the narrative makes a lot of sense, right? They, they hold these records. At the same time, there are a lot of players like showcasing this amongst a lot of players would be really interesting. Um, Cause there's a lot of people who could stand on that note, but I do want to end our discussion here on one thought process, which we talked about a little bit beforehand coming into 2024. I have a theory. We might be sitting on the most star, potentially the most star studded three point contest of all time in Phoenix. Now I'm going to say this right now. Um, I love, I love the Mercury. I love Mercury fans. The X factor. You're great. I have no personal, honestly, interest in traveling to Phoenix in July. I'm not trying to be mean when I say that. Arizonans, you have built your bodies to make it work. I I worry for my safety being in Utah going to Arizona in July. Look, I'm not trying to be on good authority. My sister lives in Arizona. She says people in Phoenix typically try to leave Phoenix during the summer. Like they do the opposite of the snowbird thing. A bit of an oven. Like (laughs) this said, if there's one thing that could convince me to book tickets to go to Phoenix in July. It's this. Logan, we could be sitting on a... I don't know what the status on, on Allie Quigley is. I know last year when, when it was announced she was going to be sitting out the season, it was specifically noted she wasn't retiring. I have no idea what the status is on there. That may already be known, and I'm way off, and someone's going to correct me on that, and that's fine. We could be sitting on an Allie Quigley, Sabrina Inescu, Caitlin Clark three-point contest and a fourth name of so many that could be fantastic. I, the, the one thing I have no idea who the fourth would be. Maybe that's the fun part of this discussion. Um, I was even thinking like, if this actually is the swan song for Tarasi and it's in Phoenix and it's a lot, maybe just, Hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and chuck a few for the sake of memories. I don't know. Is, would that be the most impressive three point lineup of all time? And by the way, I'm talking about across both sides of the game. I I would want to be there, and uh, I would want to be there. And this, you got to understand, we, when we went to Phoenix for our Mercury X Factor experience several years ago, which really kickstarted the pod, we had been in the car for about fourteen hours, opened the car doors to go eat breakfast somewhere, and even after sitting in the car that long, the three of us were like, you know, we could go home right now. Like, yeah, let's just. Get- this was a mistake. Like, this <laughs> it is so hot. It is so I, hot. So I don't know that I've ever experienced of. heat like that before. It really taught me. I grew it was up in Cali- I grew up in Southern California, and that was the moment that I was like, "Wait a minute! I actually am a Utah weather person now. I think I prefer if I got to pick winter or summer now." And I never thought I'd be that person because this is just. But I I bring mean. that up to say yes, I would be willing to put my body through that probably to to watch that. I don't know. Ask you're gonna have to ask me on a day because right now I'm freezing. I'm in a basement right now with no socks on. Like I could, <laughs> I could go for a little bit of heat. I bring up, uh, I brought up Tarasi, but like in that lineup, who's your fourth? I think, I think the narrative of Qu- Quigley, perennial three point champion, Sabrina Nesco has the record. Caitlin Clark, who's made herself into a megastar with her ability to shoot the ball. Who's that fourth? Like DT is there for narrative sake, but is there another name that's like that's the one? In, like, that would make, know, that would complete this row. If uh, if Jules having another spectacular scoring season, I know she, I, she's been in it before. I don't remember her making. I don't remember how she did. I don't feel like she was necessarily one of those people that was built for it. But I, like that could be fun if she's having another season where she's averaging like thirty a game. Um. <sighs> Let's see. I don't know. Maybe who who was bucketing threes last year? Do we need to do we need to get it? I I think I mean, Jewel mainly an SQ. <laughs> like, yeah, Jewel last year was making like nine, like in a game at one point, and it was like okay, we could get her in there, and that would be fun. Um, gosh. Could it be a college player? 
That would be interesting. I, I wonder how you could do that in a way that is kind of like equitable too. <laughs> the, yeah. Cause there's so many, yeah, if you open that door, because then it's like, oh, well. a college player or like, you know, a, a rookie coming out of there. Like, I know Beckers isn't purely a, a shooter. So I, I don't know if that's it. Is it, is it Georgia Amor? Is it, you know, like it, it gets interesting as you, you know, maybe, maybe I, I feel like Arike has also been in it before, but you could get Arike Gubawali in there. Or honestly, if let's see, you've got, you've got, who are the the ones we've mentioned? You got Sabrina and you got Caitlin Clark and you've got why am I forgetting the third? Quigley in in what is assumed to be her final one since she said that her final one was like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone viciously booed her for it. Maybe you do Ryan Howard. Yeah. She's she can hit threes in in like red hot streaks with the best of them. And then you've got players from different teams kind of Kind of a Ali Quigley is the like the multi-time champ, but then everybody else being very young, um, I think would be compelling and fun. Um, I don't know how old Sabrina is, but she's only been in the league like three years. It and can't be like, so to have mostly new players, I think would be a good time. And it's like you could put Vandersloot in there. Um, I see Chelsea <laughs> Gray, but she's historically not done very well in the three-point contest. So I don't know. If Gray's the answer as far as that's considered. That's why this is why I brought up DT, because I just thought that the narrative of DT would be interesting because it's You know what historical sense. And if this happens to be your last season and if it's in Phoenix in front of a home crowd, maybe that's the answer. But get I would say you know what? I take it back. Get one of the aces in there. Get like Jackie or Chelsea or Kelsey. Oh yeah. Say, you probably probably Jackie Young. Yeah, Jackie, probably from a pure shooting perspective, but Plum, obvious, historically a great shooter. She, That's, Plum is probably of the three I just mentioned. She's actually, she had the, the, the worst. She was like a 40% three point shooter last year, but of the three aces players I just mentioned, she was behind them all, but she's more built for the contest, yeah. I think. And here's where like, the narrative, that's, that's kind of an important aspect of it. Here's where the narrative is interesting with Kelsey Plum too is, is with this lineup, you would have, Probably two of the best three-point contest shooters of all time in Quigley and Ionescu. And potentially, if all things continue the way they're looking, the two greatest college scorers of all time in Plum and Clark. So, I mean, that's what makes this interesting is Clark's zeroing in on Plum's record right now. So that could make it intriguing. This is where it gets fun. Like, I just like that's a specific event where I think the WNBA may be sitting on a real powder keg. Uh, for a pretty cool event that a lot of people would want to see. Like, that's one that's like, please do not just stuff that into halftime of the All-Star game. Make that, try your best to make that a prime time event. Make it open to the public, for goodness sake, and turn this into a cool thing because you have a chance to, to make me really in- intrigued. Like, I, I'm just really excited already as I think about that. Um, so we'll see whatever could possibly ever happen. I don't know. Maybe it's just us. I, I got. Nothing else to call out there, but there we have it. I, uh, I, this is too late for to add to the discussion, but I did just pull up 2023 regular season three-point percentage leaders. I'm just going to race through them. You ready? Let's go work. Jackie Young, nearly 45%. Uh, Sabrina, nearly 45%. Courtney Williams, 44%. Carly Samuelson, smaller sample size. She didn't take as many shots in a game, but nearly 43%. Chelsea Gray. Kalia Copper, Rachel Bannum, Kelsey Mitchell. Interesting names in there. I did yeah. not expect. I did not expect a handful of those. So those are just the. If you actually want to know, and again, your in-game three-point percentage is not the same as standing in a rack of six basketballs and and rapid firing them. You know, but yeah, it's it's the same reason why Mookie Betts is like who he is, but not built for the home run derby. It's just like look. Mookie, we love you, but this is, you got, it's too long. You can't, <laughs> you can't be here. Anyway, that's, that's too obscure. I don't know how, what the Venn diagram of WNB Nation listeners and people who are very into baseball is. Hopefully it's just like people like us who are just sports junkie nerds, but regardless, we love you all. 
Thank you for listening. <laughs> if you are, if you are, you should be a Mookie Betts fan. That's I think absolutely. You don't, you don't have to be a Dodger fan. I am a Dodger fan, and I was a Dodger fan well before this offseason. I want to make that clear. Um, but a lot of people may not be because of this offseason. But be a Mookie Betts fan because um, he's about as fun of a baseball player as it gets. Uh, that all said, um, there's much to dive into in terms of the women's game right now. I just talked about baseball. There's softball already kicking off. Professional volleyball. Um, the PWHL is going insane. Uh, a lot to be excited about. Logan, anything else you want to bring to the table before we call it a call it a day? Just, I'm glad we're back on mic. This is extremely fun. I know uh, our, our co-hosts, Jason and Kyle, have so much going on in their lives right now, but they are anxious to get back on with us soon, too. Hopefully we get a whole roundtable of us to you guys eventually. But until then, we'll be keeping up with the college game, the pre-draft stuff, the draft stuff, the season. It's all ahead. Very excited for it. I don't have any specifics beyond that. I'm just pumped to be back on mic. Great googly moogly. This stuff moves fast. Gotta say it. But yeah, absolutely. A lot to look forward to. And we're excited to be here with you throughout all of it. But until next time, thanks again for listening to WNBA Nation. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time. No, I'll see you